right, so are we are You're we hot. live? You're hot. Right. I got no notes or nothing here. I, I was blind. I was no, blindsided. I'm telling you. Along. You're going blind at this, Cooper. All right. <laughs> That's the best way. It is. My name is Judge Brian Keith Humphreys, and I'm your Jack County Judge. And with us today is our Emergency Management Coordinator, Frank Cooper. Frank Cooper. <laughs> Frank Hefner. That's what happens whenever I got to stare at uh, Robert Cooper across the uh, the table from us. And our uh, Jacksboro Independent School District uh, Superintendent, Mr. Dwayne Milam, is with us. And then uh, the infamous, uh, you know, chief of staff at Faith Community Hospital is Dr. Robert Cooper. And so, anyway, we just call him the Coop. By the way, Dr. Cooper is not wearing his uh, North Face <laughs> vest today. And so, everybody's got to have some style. And, you know, baseball season is over, Cooper, by the way. <laughs> No response to that at all. He, he's not late. Hey, Texas, he's early. Texas is year round, brother. Yeah. Did you see that they uh, they just named a new um, uh, general uh, administrator? What is his name? General manager. Yeah, general manager. No. Man, you got to get up it. to speed on this. Yeah, Have you is... even been to Globe Life Park yet? No, no. I, I I practically eat CDC for breakfast and dinner these days. Mm-hmm. So, where'd you get your really shirt? Like Allsup's parking lot or something? Oh, or no, that just... was two seasons ago. <laughs> Back when they were winning. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's older than two years. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, our purpose of our podcast is is to get factual information out to our community, and so I just want to share a little bit of information. Um, this uh, initially started as our uh, COVID team. And so uh, Dr. Cooper, myself, and uh, Frank Hefner has been responsible for uh, managing uh, our community during this uh, COVID-19 period. And so uh, through that, we meet on a regular basis. Uh, I would say that we've become uh, pretty good friends through this. And what I've determined or what I've seen through this is, is we've, um, we've, through these relationships, we built a team spirit. And so through that, um, our community is basically, um, they benefit from it because the closer we work together, the more comfortable we work together. Um, our decisions are better. Our, the leadership is better. And then we noticed that we had, we, we needed to include some other individuals. And, and definitely one of them was uh, Mr. Milam because uh, we noticed quickly one of the hot spots. Uh, as we battled this COVID-19 was our school district. And so um, the way we could get factual information, make better decisions, uh, was by having um, Mr. Milam part of our team and including in that uh, also Mike Smith. And so uh, the five of us meet on a regular basis. Uh, we try to have open communication. We, we try to uh, share ideas. And uh, through that, our community has um, battled this virus, I think, in a very aggressive way. We've taken a different position than other counties. Um, We have not, um, maybe we've been a little cautious whenever it comes to um, giving specifics on numbers, but we've done that for a reason. Uh, We've, we've worked hard behind the scenes. We've, we've worked diligently. Um, The decisions that we made and the direction that we made as a management team has been based off of not only factual information, like Cooper said, from the CDC and from the state, uh, from the uh, from DISH, but also um, a lot of the information that we have comes directly from 
what we've seen work and what what changes that we've made in our community, specifically with the school district. So uh, we just wanted to get fact, factual information out to our community. And so that's why we're calling this podcast, uh, this broadcast, this videocast as Get the Facts Jack. And so uh, we want to make sure since you are in Jack County and also we live in Jacksboro, uh, we're going to make Jack the common thread. And so... Uh, we were testing uh, Dr. Cooper on some of his knowledge on uh, <laughs> the facts on, you know, that's the fact, Jack. And he has not even seen Stripes. That's, that blows my mind. That was a Bill Murray classic, uh, early Bill Murray classic, probably back in the 80s. Um, so that just shows your age, Dr. Cooper. It does. My favorite Bill Murray movie is uh, What About Bob? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's about as far back as it goes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then Hefner came back with uh, the idea of, uh, you know, really, um, that's the fact Jack was really popularized just a few years ago with. Um, Cy Robinson. S- yeah, Robinson. Cy. Yeah. yeah. Duck Dynasty fan. Duck Dynasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you know that um, Uncle Cy actually had breakfast down here at Village Kitchen. Village Kitchen. And one of those booths, uh, until the recent sale, um, had a picture of Uncle Cy sitting in that booth here at um, Village Kitchen in Jacksboro. Yeah, so, the the, uh, the previous owner decided he didn't want to leave that artifact there with the with the building. He decided and, he wanted to take that picture with him and took it with him. <laughs> yes, huh? sir. So, see, we have a natural connection with Jack. So, anyway. All right, you don't see the humor in it, but we have a little bit t- different sense of humor, Cooper, than than you do. So. But anyway, so how are we doing? We've got some things that we want to talk about. We want to talk, uh, you know, the reason why we started with the uh, with the school district is is because, you know, what is uh, we've we were diligently concerned about Thanksgiving. Uh, we we were um, we knew uh, our kids, our families were going to come together. Uh, they were going to, uh, you know, give thanks for the, what we've been through. We were going to celebrate, but through that, there comes a lot of exposure, and we were we were concerned about what was going to happen after the fact. And so, you know, how did how did we do with that? Was there a major spike, um, you know, after the Thanksgiving uh, break? We we did have a few cases after the Thanksgiving break, but nothing like we thought it could have been. Uh, our our biggest spike in the school district took place in early November. November 5th, 6th, somewhere in that range, we had five or six uh, middle school students that were all positive on that same day. And in that over the weekend, we had several at all three campuses. And uh, that was really our biggest uh, biggest spike. We, we actually started the year off with two students that came to school the first day of school who had been diagnosed as positive with COVID Way to two start days the prior. Yeah. And, uh, Way to start off with a bang. It was, it was pretty eye-opening for all of us. But, but – that early event, th- thank goodness those, those two students have fully recovered and they're, they're doing well, but it was a good wake-up call for us to realize this is a real thing and uh, we, we have to take all of it seriously. So that, that really raised our level of awareness and all those, all those CDC guidances that we've gotten, all the things we've received from, C- from, uh, from TEA as well, and the guidance we've gotten locally visiting with, with you guys, uh, we were able to put that into practice and recognize that you know, we have to take this thing very, very seriously. We were anyway, but I think it raised our community's awareness a little bit coming out of that. <clears throat> and, and that really held us over for, for the month of August, September, October. We, ha- we get an occasional case here and there, but nothing like we saw at the beginning of November. And the question I was getting a lot was, what's the common thread? 
that we're, we're seeing all these cases at the beginning of November. And the only thing we can, we can pin it back to is about a week prior to that was when we had that first cold snap. Uh, the weather turned cold. The weather was rainy. It forced everyone inside that normally would be outside doing things. And uh, that, that's really all we can find as a common link in that. But, but coming out of Thanksgiving, our numbers are really declined. In fact, I checked our numbers this morning. We, we submit a weekly report to DISHES and to TEA on our number of cases over the previous week. We had one case this past week in our school mm. district, uh, that's that's good. including our staff, our students, and the whole thing. So uh, we're down to one active case, and she's recovering well. We, we checked on her a day or so ago, and that, that recovery is going well thanks to the, the, the medical professionals we have in our area. So we feel like right now we're in good shape. We, we get a little nervous coming out of Christmas, but uh, we'll just we'll, we'll hope and pray that our folks take good precautions during that time that we're away. Well, that's incredible compared to where we were, let's say, two months ago. You know, it seemed like we really saw a tremendous spike in our school district. And, you know, we we struggled with um, the elementary school. We, um, you know, it was exposed um, to our our staff members. Mm -hmm. And then through the staff members, uh, then it was exposed to some of our our kids. And so um, it was beginning to get ahead of us, for lack of better words, and then we had to take some pretty aggressive measures. And so what, what in your opinion, what has been one of the leading, um, what has been the best takeaways from going through that, that spike? Well, again, I think we had that event on the first day of school, and that raised everyone's level of awareness. And I think we, faced, we suffered from a little bit of COVID fatigue. Uh, we, were, we were washing hands. We're social distancing. Uh, many of our elementary classrooms are eating lunch in their classrooms. We're not bringing those big groups into the cafeteria as we would have in years past, and we hope to do someday soon. But we'd, we'd really gotten pretty alert to all of those things, but I think we just had gotten tired. Um, and then again, I think the, the weather change, bringing everybody inside, forced that, that the, the inability to social distance was a, was a factor. But, but coming out of that, we, we, we made a decision that we really struggle with, uh, and that's that we required all of our students basically fourth grade and up to re be required to wear a mask unless they had a medical condition that wouldn't allow them to do that. And, and that has really helped. Uh, you can read whatever, whatever report you want on the effectiveness of a mask. And you know, I think for everyone that says, yes, they really work well, there's another one out there that says, no, they're, they're a waste of your time. Um, we had to put that aside because we were, we were seeing that spike. The, the thing that we were really getting hit by our number of cases was going up, but the number of students and staff that were having to quarantine because of the close contact, they'd been, they'd been in that close contact with a positive case and were having to be out for 14 days. That number has been our greatest decrease with, with wearing the mask. We just mm -hmm. haven't had as many that have had to quarantine since that point. That's, that's absolutely amazing. And you know, that's, I, I we've got to take some credit for that. That's a management decision. It was a tough decision for us to do. Uh, you know, our community is polar opposites on whether they feel like the mask is effective or whether right. it's not. But, but guys, the decisions that we're making are based upon local impact. And, and we are seeing results of not having to quarantine or isolate, it's a better word for it, mm -hmm. because of potential exposure by the wearing of masks. And so it has found to be proven effective in our community. Yeah, and we've, we followed the governor's guidance on that from the very onset. We didn't require those to be worn at the beginning of the school year, but our active case count was below that threshold that the governor had established. We were, we'd stayed below 20 for so long. 
And I think even at the point where we were getting those cases coming on board, we were, I think the governor's mandate had changed at some point from 20 to 30 active cases mm-hmm. before the mass mandate was triggered. We were still below that. So it wasn't that we were required to, but we were seeing something locally in our school district in our, with, those, with those people that are coming inside those buildings each day that we saw a local spike and we felt like that was the most prudent action to take. And, and really didn't get a lot of pushback. There were some that didn't like it. I don't like wearing one. Well, sure. But uh, we're, we're able to uh, we're able to work way through work our way through some of those things. We, we've got kids that, that just don't want to wear them all day every day, and we, we try to find preferential seating in the classrooms. If you don't want to wear your mask all day, and we can set you where you're more than six feet apart from somebody and get you in a little bit of a safer area, yet you're still interacting and doing all the things that you normally would do in a classroom, we do that. Mm-hmm. So those some of the smaller things that we've had to work our way through that, that we've done, uh, we, we still have some that are just, just cautious and aren't quite ready to be back in the buildings every day. And we've got remote learning as an availability. Uh, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't think that uh, someone who's getting their lessons through the computer screen is nearly as effective as being in the classroom with that, that teacher. Yeah, I totally but, agree uh, with you But it's, it's, it's a good substitute, but it's not, it's not an equal substitute by no, any stretch. Not at all. And you know that remote learning is different than what it was in the spring. Uh, TEA has taken a very aggressive kind of position and it puts a tremendous amount of stress upon your of your teachers this year. It, it looks differently than the spring looks. It's it's a load on our staff. Uh, when we closed down in the spring, we didn't know if that was going to be for a one week, two weeks. We all we all heard the the sayings back in March. Let's do fifteen days from our federal government to flatten the curve. Well, the the two weeks or the fifteen days to flatten the curve turned into the end of the school year. Uh, so as our teachers were building those lessons, we were doing it on a short-term basis. Uh, let's let's build two weeks. Let's keep them up to date on what we've covered already, but didn't get into an extensive amount of new learning. And when this year started, we knew that we were gonna we were coming back face to face for all those that chose to do so and that weren't quarantining or isolating. But we still had to do new, new learning. Uh, we 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 couldn't give up any additional instructional time. So that's that's why that that looked differently. Mm-hmm. than it did back in the spring. It, we knew that it could be more of a long-term situation than what we felt it was going to be back in the spring. One of the things that, that had come up through our conversation and um, us working together is, um, you know, FCH and through the uh, the rural clinic has come up with a pretty aggressive concept of having um, an actual um, medical staff personnel there on campus. So, you know, Cooper and uh, Milam, why don't y'all address how did this uh, how did this idea come up, and who 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 initiated it? Well, we were we were in, we've had several meetings with with Dr. Cooper and, and and all of you guys in this room throughout the beginning of this thing, and I, and I want to reiterate what you said at the very beginning. Us starting to sit down back in March has been game changer for us. I, I talked to to superintendents and other schools in our area and across the state that have really struggled. They don't know who their, their county health authority is. They don't know who their judge is. Even if they know the judge, they don't have a cell number in their in their phone. It's just that the communication is not as it is here. So so that's a big part of it. But as we began the school year, we knew that bringing over 1,000 students and 150 staff members back into the building, that was going to be a challenge. Uh, and if you look at that list of, of COVID symptoms, so many of those are common symptoms of, of, a, of a head cold of a sinus infection, of, of just the common common cold of the flu, we knew that was going to be a challenge. So uh, Dr. Cooper had approached me initially, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Dr. Cooper, about the possibility of, now I'll back up a little bit, we have a nurse that's full-time in our, in our staff. She houses at the elementary and, and does a really good job. But we were afraid 
that the volume of, of patients that she would be seeing in that nurse's office could be an overwhelming thing. Um, so Dr. Cooper brought the idea of bringing one of the one of the professionals from from the hospital in to uh, to help us out, and we did that, and that's been an incredibly successful. Uh, procedure for us to get into the way we divided it anyone that presents an illness whether it be staff or student uh, they they see that that fch uh, staff member and that's uh, griselda um, so that we know if it's a sick one they go see griselda and she can do that initial evaluation um, if she realizes that you know they, they they may have something here we may need to go see a doctor they she'll make the phone call to, to mom or dad or whomever the guardian may be and, and tell them what's going on and give them an option. The option is you can come get them and take them to your pediatrician or whoever your medical provider is, and that that's great. But what we were running into, a lot of times mom or dad may be working out of town and leaving work to come pick the child up and then trying to get an appointment into a clinic was just a struggle. So we're able to do telemedicine. Um, we can set up a, a three-way Zoom with, with the student, with the nurse, and the mom, uh, wherever they may be, and then the, the third leg of that being the doctor, the medical provider, we can do that by Zoom. She can do that evaluation. Griselda's already taken vitals and all that part that needs to be done hands-on can relay that information to the doctor. Uh, they make their evaluation, and if, if tests are ordered, a lot of those tests can be done right there in the nurse's station. Um, so that's that's been a good thing. We've, we've caught several that, that were just uh, strep throat, for example. There's no need to quarantine for 14 days or 10 days or whatever the numbers are at that particular time because of strep throat, but we can analyze that and get that alternate assessment and get that child the treatment that they need. So that's been a really, really good thing. What a game changer. Years. But And that directly came from this this kind of this group, this uh, leadership team, and to be able to move through the red tape and actually get that done. So, uh, you know, how has uh, FCH uh, contributed to that? Is that – is that something that uh, is that through the hospital? Is it through the rural clinic, or how are Dr. Cooper? How are you able to facilitate that into the uh, the school district? Well, there there are several things that, on a state level or even a federal level, uh, some of the red tape that has been dropped with uh, with COVID that has allowed us to do this. Um, one of those basically being. Uh, for rural health clinics, clinics in rural areas that are actually designated legally as a rural health clinic to be able to perform telemedicine visits as the originating site. And some of that's legal mumbo-jumbo, but sure. But that's basically uh, allowed us to do this in any rural health clinic in, in, in really um, America. Yeah. So uh, previous to that, we had not been able to do that. So when some of that started trickling out, and school was set to come back. That's when I had the idea and, and, and approached uh, Mr. Mom about that. But, but basically, it's exactly everything that he said is exactly true. Uh, we were able to have one of our uh, medical assistants go over to the school, and then um, the, the uh, nurse practitioner, uh, the, the doctor nurse practitioner that uh, does the visits uh, is one of our own. Um, that's different than Teladoc or some of the provider that might be across the country or another state. This is one of our own, um, and which is a big deal because there's relationships there in the community that, that's already there. The other thing that it uh, really helped us do is exposures per se and load on the clinic. So uh, instead of when there was a – we knew when there was going to be a spike come or where the volume was going to be anticipated to be high, it allowed us to have that kid who was not feeling well and get them home per se, already have their tests done, 
or or have them test in the car outside the clinic or however that exact case or situation allowed it to be done. We could cut down on exposures per se. Uh, if it was strep throat, the meds would already be called into the clinic or sorry, into the pharmacy. By the time the parent could get there to pick up the kid, the, the meds were already at the pharmacy. Just pick the kid up, go to the pharmacy, pick the meds up, go home. Kid yeah. was already feeling better. And, and we cut down on kids sitting in waiting room, you know? And so it, it that's that's truly an amazing kind of a new concept. I and think about the financial burden it puts upon the parents having to leave their jobs to to come and and pick up their kid and then come and spend time in the clinic or in the pediatrician's office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the I there are some takeaways that we have we have really taken advantage of Zoom meetings that we've this teledoc and mm-hmm. and having those type of. Uh, it's really the way that we've managed through COVID nineteen here well, in Jack County. The FCH clinic is 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 already very busy. I mean, we are in an underserved county, so by definition, we don't have enough providers to go around for the whole county. Mm-hmm. Just like I said, just by the sheer numbers. So us being able to have this little outlet at the schools, which is one of the, the largest, um, I want to say conglomeration, the the, the largest. Uh, population that gets together at one time to yeah, us isolated be able to go there. population exactly yes. isolated population to get there and to take care of that population there really helps the clinic and helps the rest of the community even if they don't have kids in school it helps the rest of the community be able to get into their to the provider and get into the clinic when they're not feeling well yeah. so it it goes beyond uh, several or ju- just oh us putting in a nurse to to help out the school it it literally affects the community secondarily and tertiary and, and and go from there. So. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we met with um, uh, the uh, superintendent of Bryson School District, Mr. London, and Mr. then London. also uh, Mr. Sales from from Perrin. And I asked the question, would this same concept, you know, work in our Bryson schools and our parent schools? And, you know, Perrin had just experienced a kind of an outbreak. And by later that day, probably the second day after our meeting, so did Bryson. Hmm. And so, um, you know, that's something that I've proposed to our county commissioners is, is, you know, we did receive some CARES Act funding. We received some state federal funding about is that something that we want to, um, you know, go ahead and use some of that funding uh, to implement a, a health care provider or a, uh, a medical staff member uh-huh in those two campuses to also emulate the same program that is currently in place at JISD. And I think that's a, a, a very valid uh, direction to go on this. One, one of the statements that Dr. Cooper made to me at the very onset of this was, let's, let's get this thing up and let's, let's do it right. And let's treat this as a pilot program that could be, re, could be, could be implemented in other school districts. And I think we're onto something here. I really think we are. Um, the, the level of comfort that our staff has with, with Griselda providing those services there at the school has just been phenomenal. It's been, she's been so well-received faster than I ever thought it would be. I know of at least two occasions where our staff members have reached out to her outside of school hours. She's gone to their house to check on them. And that's, that's above yeah, and beyond. That's, that, that's taken the new age telemedicine aspect of it and blending it with the old school way of, of the doctor coming to your house to check on you. I think it's the best of both worlds. And I don't think she's going to do that for, for everybody. Uh, probably doesn't have enough time in her day to do all of that, but just the willingness of her to make sure 
those folks were taken care of was just, just above and beyond. I, I just can't say enough positive things about that. Well, what's amazing is, is, you know, I want to reemphasize that it's not just for your students. This is also a huge benefit and service to our staff members. Because as we mentioned, that if you have to close an elementary school, um, a lot of times those teachers that are in our high school or middle school have children that are attending our middle school. And it creates a chain of events that just, it snowballs. And it really is something that we had to think of outside the box. How do we manage through this this epidemic, through this, this virus? And I think that's a wonderful takeaway that we've had. And so... Mm-hmm. Kudos to the two of y'all working together and making that happen. So, I know that um, I know that brought in a some kind of put a light bulb in both of those smaller school districts to uh, kind of look at what you know how how is it that their Jacksboro's doing this and then allowing us to move forward and doing the same thing mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, <clears throat> probably both of those school districts within their population themselves is only a third of what Jacksboro's population is, but yet. It's it's effective, and so hopefully we can take it and use it. Yeah, I, I really think it could benefit could benefit all of us in our county, and, and that's that's something that, that I've been impressed with as well. Um, the the three school districts in our county do work well together. If we're competing in an event on a Thursday on a, on a Tuesday night or a Friday night or whatever, we we want to win, of course. But but outside of that, we understand kids are kids. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in this business to help kids, and it doesn't matter if they reside in my district or if they're in another one. If there's an idea or a thing we can do to help them out, that's what we're trying to do. So I'm, I'm just glad that's that's got some possibility that can help out all of those students. And from what I understand, uh, she can also do the COVID test there. Is it that? Um, yes, that is correct. So kind of behind the scenes, you have to get a license and this and that with, uh, with CLIA and the lab and this. The, the agency that does that, and we have done that um, to make sure it's done the right way, like we discussed, and um, and that is correct. She's able to run several tests that uh, we can do in our clinic, even even in the clinic itself uh, at the school for the kiddos and, and staff if they're feeling bad. And another one of the goals is to keep people in school. You know, if, mm-hmm. if a kid has a, a stomach ache or something and we can rule out a couple of things here or there or, and, or staff and keep keep school uh keep a teacher in and you know uh, we're, we're gonna do what's right for the person if they need to go home they need to go home but at the same time sometimes that's not the ca- always the case and yeah. so sometimes for them they don't need to leave but they need to leave to go seek a provider so they so they leave to go to the clinic when in all honesty maybe they just need to see the talk to a doc real quick about blood pressure or something, and then they can kind of go back. I mean, there's so many different situations and scenarios. I don't want to play what if too many ways, but that's another just great benefit. So So we've had a lot of focus on COVID-19, and so you know we're well into flu season. So, And it seems like flus kind of run underneath the radar. Mm -hmm. So um, are we seeing much uh, flu outbreak in our community? Are we seeing it in our school districts? Is when do you anticipate that it's going to raise its ugly head? Because usually by now, um, all kidding aside, we're talking about, you know, early Christmas breaks because the flu epidemic has gotten, you know, this it's unusual this year. I, I've not really heard of any substantial outbreaks. If it is, it's getting labeled COVID. No, the answer is no. We, we have not seen positive tests here Um uh, at least a substantial amount. There may be a, a few that have trickled under the radar, but nothing like we have in the past. And 
<clears throat> and I don't like the I don't like when you use the word anticipate because that means <laughs> what do you see in the future? And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and I don't, I don't. At this point, I, I have no idea what the future is going to be. Whole. But, but basically, the uh, this year's flu is going to be different, uh, in my own opinion, um, which is tough because this, like I said, this year's you have an opinion that's going to change next week um, with just the amount of data coming out and everything that's that turns on a dime. But uh, if you remember, uh, last year, I think we had an early flu. Uh, two years ago, it was very late. We had almost nothing until February, and we had a very late flu spike. And then three or four years ago, if I remember correct, it never came. The flu vaccine did very well that year. And so this year, um, if you just – if you it, a few things that are changing, obviously, COVID. Um, we've seen more flu vaccines this year in the community, uh, which is a positive. Um, and then the other thing is, is obviously our diligence uh, to not spread infection. So the COVID-19 virus is, is decently more um, contagious than the flu vaccine. And there's some numbers out there that range, but just roughly say it's two and a half times more contagious um, in the sense of e- it spreads easier. And so if we're, we're doing a lot of rigorous hand washing and, and mask and social distancing and not as many large gatherings and uh, and and just one of the more simple ones, if you're sick, stay home. Um, then, then and, and if, if all these things are working to kind of keep COVID at bay, I highly doubt that we're going to see flu rear its ugly head as it has in the past. And so um, in, the, in the past, those have been the, what we, te- what people kind of tell, what we say about when you get the flu or during flu season, but, you know, we always just, oh, it's the flu. You know, we never really took it. Now this has been for nine months uh, has been pounded into people's head to take these precautions. And in all honesty, we probably should have been doing it maybe not as strict and, and goes as far as we have for COVID uh, by any means. But a lot of this stuff we can do for during flu season every year. And so I'm not so sure we're going to have a, a bad flu season this year. Now, if we do, we do. Um, and and we'll, we can handle that like we do every year. But... But I wouldn't. I would not be surprised at the end of six season if we get through and we haven't seen a large flu flu spike this year. So we know that uh, vaccines have have played a very important role in um, combating the the flu, um, and we know that just recently um, the FD or um, FDA has authorized the distribution of the COVID Pfizer vaccination. That's correct. And it's in the process of coming. It's in Texas now. I understand that mm-hmm. um, that it's being distributed to healthcare workers. So, uh, you know, what what do we need to make the public aware of in reference to the vaccine? Um, what are what are some of the positives? Some of the negatives? Some of the things? Um, you know, I on a regular basis I poll people. I poll healthcare workers. I poll our first responders. Some that um, that are working in the uh, the assisted living. Um, communities, uh, some of the phase one, to use the politically correct name, um, you know, some of those that will be some of the first recipients if they so choose. So there is no mandatory requirement for vaccination, um, but it's highly suggested. So uh, what do you what do you see? What is what is the vaccination process going to look like in Jack County? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to be honest, that, that, that's very odd to say, but 
we don't know. There's still a lot rolling downhill. I mean, the vaccine might actually now physically be in Texas. It's it's probably going to be distributed this week. We will not see Pfizer at all. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine, which is the ultra cold vaccine, those are going. Uh, they had uh, strict guidelines on who those were going to be given to. There's very few vaccines. I think only uh, 1.2 million, 1. something I that, million. I think that first shipment came in as of today was 22,000 doses. 22,000 for the whole state of for Texas. For the whole state of Texas. And as far as I know, they went to five locations. And and those are mainly uh, hospital hospitals. systems, hospital systems that have over 1,000 employees. So. Yeah. This this first round of Pfizer, and you're right, it's uh, FDA approved. It's it's FDA approved as an emergency, emergency use authorization um, vaccination, and so um, so yes, I I have been in uh, in in contact with uh, the director of DSHS often, um, uh, and that's Doctor Massey, correct? Doctor yes, Doctor Massey. We're in region two three, region two slash three. That's correct okay. for our region, and and, and I get a lot of information from him. And obviously Mr. Hefner talks with the TDM, Texas Department of Emergency Management. And, and a lot of the information that has, has come down uh, the pike is just, we're not sure yet. We're not sure what it's going to look like because in all honesty, this is all emergency use. I mean, it, they're making it up as they go because of the situation we're in. They, they don't necessarily have all the answers. Now, once we get the vaccine, how will we distribute it? Well, we have plans for that for sure that we can, discuss it at a different time but you know vaccines save lives uh, they always have you know, smallpox polio you go back it, this is the first generation that hasn't really seen a well outside of COVID now uh, a you're a, right a virus that that just ravages the world kind of say to say um there's generations past that, that saw that and so on on a on a i know there are individual cases and there's people that can't take it or don't want to for certain situations that, and, and they have those rights and stuff, but but on on a on a wide st- st- statistical range, the vaccine saves lives, and and this is um, one of those that will. So um, as as far as uh, as Jack County is concerned, I'm unsure when we were get when we will get any vaccine. Um, we are signed up to get the vaccine whenever it t- does roll out, but does I'm waiting to hear from DSHS and TDM and. And see when we get ours. Pfizer is going to a lot uh, larger places because of the first one. Um, there's the next one on the docket that I've heard, which obviously could change tomorrow, is Moderna. That one um, will be out. Um, I don't know that they, they, they have very good statistics right now, but they have not received the FDA approval for the emergency use authorization. So we'll see. I mean, so yes, I, I joke when I say I don't know, but I, I, I don't. And so. Um, but uh, but when as the information gets to us that's more tangible, then we will uh, we will disseminate that and we will be and, and make it available based on the phases because once again we'll have rules to follow. There will be know, certain people that can only get it at certain times, and that's that's what we'll do. Well, one of the most important things we're trying to accomplish in this podcast or getting this information out is make sure it's factual information. And so you can, you're hearing it directly from Dr. Cooper at FCH and, and, uh, you know, you're not reading it on Facebook. You're not reading it on, uh, rants and raves. Um, this is, this is factual information. And so, uh, these are some of the struggles that we have faced over the last eight, nine months, because 
you've heard us say that the, the rules change overnight. That's what it is today. And this the response to the virus is changing. And I think in some ways the virus is changing uh, as it spreads and we're learning more about it as it goes through our community. So um, I think some people are eagerly waiting for the vaccine, and I think others are not concerned with, at all with it. So, um, you know, our health care, our first responders, um, our nursing homes are earmarked for phase one. And then after that, it'll it'll be expanded to more of our population. And I, w- I will say, since Mr. Bond's sitting here, he, he doesn't have a lot to say on this topic, and the reason is, is because right now it's not even it's not approved for children. Um, mm-hmm. uh, That's a good point. And they have it they haven't set that age yet, but right now they say it's for adults only. Now, will that change with Moderna? Possibly. Um, we wait to hear. But as of now, um, it, the, the phase one. It won't include uh, children in our community or anything right now. Yeah, so our elementary school, our preschool, and we have. That's something we hadn't really talked about. We had um, some outbreaks in our daycare, in our preschool facilities. The majority was found to be rhinovirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, it really was an outbreak of COVID. Mm-hmm. And what we did was is we made, we followed state recommendations. They did a deep, thorough cleaning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we were able to open most of these facilities up within just a matter of an extended weekend. The other thing uh, that I want to make sure um, that the public understands, one of the precautions that we're taking at our school district is the, what is it, bl- germ blast? Or? Germ blast. Yeah. <clears throat> I've seen the van around town, and I thought, man, what a cool, uh, a cool concept. But some of the precautions you are taking there at the school. We 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 deep clean daily. We about two years ago we we had the flu outbreak that Dr. Cooper was referencing a couple you know a couple of years back. We we bought a. It sounds like a weird thing. They're they're called electrostatic sprayers. And it, when those things first came around, they were about a five to ten thousand dollar item. They were crazy expensive, but they were really fast. And the, the neat thing about that electrostatic sprayer, you put in the chemical that kills all these different viruses that would be on a surface. And as I can spray in a room, spray the tabletop, the tabletop's going to get covered even if I use an old garden sprayer kind of a thing. These electrostatic sprayers have a way of letting that chemical get on every surface in that room to try to, to try to kill whatever it is, a virus or a whatever. So we've, we, we've had those. We've, we've really cranked up and started using those. We make sure the chemicals that we're using are safe for students. Some of those chemicals are safe to, to spray on the cafeteria lunch table, and an hour later you can eat. Well, of course, some are a little bit more dangerous. So we, we try to make sure we use the safer chemicals. But um, we're, we're doing that daily. We're, we're hitting every classroom, every commons area daily. Our custodial staff is continually walking around, wiping down doorknobs, all those common, commonly touched areas. They're doing that anyway. But, but periodically, and I think we've got it set for three or four times a, a year, uh, a company called Germ Blast comes in, and they deep clean everything. Um, the, the guy that, that we work with, he refers to them as his scrubbing monkeys. And I thought, well, that's kind of a neat term. But I've seen them in action. It's pretty accurate. Those guys are all over everything. And it's just the old, you know, grandma's old spring cleaning where everything gets a good yeah. scrubbing and a wipe down. That's what those guys are doing. So so we've, we've had those guys in. Actually brought them in for the first time last year. So we were ahead of it, but we were sure glad we were in line because they were they were so full and so busy. I don't think a lot of schools were able to add their services. So we were already in the queue, so we got to keep them on. And that that's helped out a lot as well. I, I think it's very important as, as our community comes together to find ways of combating this this disease. And I think it's a cooperative effort. Mm-hmm. It really is. So, um, well, one of the things that we're looking forward to is Christmas break. 
we know that's going to um, potentially create some challenges. We know that some of our students and families will be traveling. They'll be spending time much like in Thanksgiving, but because this break is a little more extended, uh, there's a possibility that they may travel into for an extended period of time, maybe a community that has um, a higher number of COVID cases. So whether it's, uh, you know, Houston, San Antonio, whether it's outside the state, maybe it's outside of our country, um, what are some, some you know, precautions that we should take as we travel and as we come together during, during this Christmas time, Dr. Cooper? Well, basically, um, the, the things that you hear us say over and over um, is just stay safe in the sense of if someone is sick, then then I right now assume that it's that it is COVID because that's number one. Um, obviously, we're in a pandemic, so uh, those people probably need to to stay clear of the family. Just just be careful. Obviously, if you have high risk problems, um, uh, if you already have medical problems, to to um, to wash your hands, stay safe. You know, with your family, um, the mask isn't necessarily popular. That's that's um, I don't. That, that's that's your choice and your family and what y'all do. But basically just, just have common sense and be safe because really our biggest problem is going to be when people get back from Christmas break. And, and the, the problems are really outside of Jack County in the sense of being able to take care of the community. And I'll touch on that just for a minute is these other hospitals in the, in the Metroplex and United Regional, mainly where we transfer people outside the hospitals, they're, they're struggling right now too. And we don't have our transfer avenues that we've previously had. So we're taking more... Uh, we're taking sicker patients and higher volume patients here in Jack County than we normally do. And so I, I don't say that to, be, to scare anybody or, or anything like that, but that there's, there's a, a problem if we were to have another large spike, obviously. I mean, we're in the state of Texas and North Texas, if you hear it right, I mean, the hospitals are, are at emergency levels, and, and that's, that's true. So as you go forward in Christmas, please enjoy it. It's a year that we all need to to love on each other, pray with each other, be with our family and enjoy Christmas and what it stands for. Um, but just, just be smart about it. Don't, don't, don't be hard headed about it because honestly now's not the time to do it because we're coming back from, from Christmas. It's going to be, it's going to be even more tough at that point. So that's all I'll say because I mean, we're, we're worried, but, um, and we'll do everything we can to take care of every patient. Um, but there are, factors outside of Jacksboro and Jack County that uh, worry us for the ones that might get sicker. Right. I agree. Uh, We know that as soon as we come back from Christmas break, uh, the next thing, Mr. Milam, that's going to be affected our youth in Jack County is going to be the Jack County Youth Fair. And so that's going to be uh, towards the first part of January. And so we know that we're probably going to have some challenges We're going to have some students that um, probably were exposed over Christmas. And, um, you know, we probably need to make sure our community aware, following Dr. Cooper's ideas, is that if you're sick, you don't need to participate. You don't need to spread that um, to our community during our youth fair. Um, But if you're not, then feel free to participate with it. So, Let's address a couple of things uh, moving forward, looking past Christmas and into our uh, our next big event that's coming up as a community. Let me tell you what, people have some definite opinions in reference to this. This, uh, most of the other big fairs have been canceled. 
But uh, this is something that's important to Jack County. Uh, it is a mainstay, and it's important to these, these individuals that have worked so many hours uh, to prepare their animals. And so what are some things that we need to be cautious looking towards youth fair? I, I think the the thing that, that concerns me just a little bit on the surface is that uh, our, our students are going to be out for, for you know, two full weeks. But our guidelines and our advice, as Dr. Cooper just alluded to, do not change as the calendar changes from 2020 to 2021. I've, I've seen the memes. I'm ready for 2020 to be over as well. But, but we're still facing this thing. I just don't think it magically goes away as the calendar changes. So I think all those, those, those things that we've, we've been taught, the lessons that we've learned, some the hard way, of course, are, are, still, are still to be applied uh, as we return from, from, from that Christmas break. If you wake up and you're not feeling well, then let's let's get some medical help. Let's make sure it's something other than COVID and we get that proper treatment as we go. But but our approach in the school district has been, since we started this school year, is to provide as normal a school year as we possibly can. I feel like our students have, have earned that. They deserve that. They deserve that that true that true elementary, middle school, or high school experience. So we want to continue that. And, and that's caused us to do some things a little bit differently with, with the way we host a football game or a basketball game or a stock show. or um, we, we just hosted uh, a couple of weeks back our, our UAL uh, academic literary contest mm. for our middle school and elementary kids. Normally that would, that would entail hundreds of students on those two campuses with us hosting that. This year it was a mostly a virtual event. Um, you wonder, how can you do a virtual speaking event? Well, it can be done. Zoom and those types of technologies are great ways to do that. So we've, we've, we've adjusted how we do what we do, but we're still able to give those kids those experiences as close to normal as we possibly can. And, and from the onset, I just I refuse to accept the term new normal. No, I want our old normal back. Mm-hmm. But, but as we've worked our way through, I had this discussion with a staff member earlier today. We've learned some really good things through COVID. Um, we're, we're doing some things hygiene wise with our students. We're doing some things cleaning wise with our, with our custodial staff, those things. Those are things as Dr. Cooper alluded, we should be doing anyway. This has been a great reminder of that. Um, we, we partnered with, with faith community health systems as well as uh, uh, city drug earlier in the year to bring those flu shots to the school. So if a student wanted to get a flu shot on campus, they could do that. Those are great lessons that we've learned that we want to continue as we move forward. But as we go in specifically into the, the Jack County Youth Fair, get out and enjoy it. But let's let's be cautious. Let's use those same common sense uh, hygiene things that we've learned throughout this that uh, will allow us to continue on. I, we, I just don't want to have to send out those notifications that our numbers are up so much, like we had to do a few weeks back with our elementary, that we don't have staff to continue on or all of our students are out. Let's, let's take those precautions so that we can continue doing what we do. Yes, this it can get out of control so fast and, and coming out of Christmas, we call these little super spreader parties, but basically you get together with the family of 20 mm-hmm. and you have one person that's sick. And then all of a sudden, you know, five out of that gets sick. And then those, they all go to their job or back to school. Then it exponentially increases very quickly. And, um, well, like Mr. Milam said, our goal is to try to be as normal as we absolutely can. If we can all together, keep it tamped down just by doing, everything the right way day in day out then we can continue to enjoy these things like the fair and stuff like that and that's that's our goal and and if we all kind of do our part together and so that's that's all uh, I can say with Mr. Milan as well is that these kids deserve to have as much of a normal uh, experience that we can we can offer so 
I just want you to know I greatly appreciate the time that you've that you've taken out of your busy schedule to come and and give factual information to our community and and uh, I know that we'll be doing this on a regular basis. Uh, we'll have some other very interesting topics that we'll present to you from time to time. And so, uh, Dr. Cooper, thank you for everything that you've done being part of this COVID team. Thank you for taking the lead at uh, Faith Community Hospital. Um, I am so impressed with the medical staff and the job that y'all have done over uh, the last eight to nine months. I, I know you're tired, but our community is well-served. They're well cared for. And uh, I really want to thank you personally uh, for everything that you and your staff has done. Uh, same thing, Mr. Milam. Oh, my gosh. Um, who would have ever thought uh, educators would be faced with these challenges this year? And, uh, boy, your staff has, has risen to the occasion, whether it's the principals, administration, uh, from the school board. Uh, we got to mention them. They've, they've supported 100% of the decisions of our COVID team and they followed suit. So, um, you know, one of the greatest things is we're all working together for, for our community for the better outcome. So absolutely. And, and I just don't think we can ever say enough about just those frontline folks that are working with our students, those, mm -hmm. the, the paraprofessionals, those teachers, you know, I don't know of a single teacher that thought when they decided to become a teacher that they were going to have to, to <laughs> don a face shield or a face mask to be able to teach a kindergartner how to read. And, uh, and that's what it's evolved to. And, and, and boy, there have been some struggles, but our, our, our teaching staff has done a phenomenal job of doing that. Um, you know, just, just something as simple as how much how different their worlds are right now. Our, our, our food service staff, um, you know, having to box, having to prepare all those meals like we normally do. And normally a kid would come through the line and grab that. Well, we've got a lot of those classes are having to eat lunch in their classroom. Mm -hmm. So the logistics that goes with that. There are just so many things. Our transportation directors, you know, they've got to they've got to be that first eye on a student as they get on the bus in the morning and just be alert. Do I do I see anything different health wise? Do I do, do I notice something that I may need to let the let the nurse know as I drop them off in the morning? Those those guys are all doing a phenomenal job, and I just can't say enough positive about the way the staff has responded, trying to trying to provide as, as normal an opportunity as we can for those students. Very good, Frank Hefner, emergency management coordinator. Thank you very much for. Uh, you're kind of the captain of the ship here. You're uh, guiding us through some uncharted waters. Uh, you uh, stay, keep us updated with uh, the latest from the Department of Emergency Management. And this is a this is an emergency type situation. And I appreciate your counsel and your your support. And uh, thank you for everything you've done as well. Well, um, I will say this, Judge. It's been easy because of the fact that uh, I think the citizens of Jack County are uh, have been smart in trying to do their part. And uh, I know sometimes we've seen spikes. I know sometimes we've seen where we didn't know which way it was going to go. But um, I will say this, God's watched over our county. And, Amen. Uh, Amen to so that. Um, and, and with that, it's been it, it's made it somewhat easy, even though you don't know which way you're going. So uh, I, I'd have to, have to applaud our citizens. I agree. Citizens of Jack County, citizens of Jacksboro, thank you very much for tuning in to our uh, first episode of That's the Fact Jack. And so, anyway, I look forward to many more episodes. And this will be a, a, a method, a conduit of how you get factual information from your leadership of our community. And I promise you next week uh, we'll bring in some other uh, community leaders and uh, be able to uh, give you factual information. So thanks again for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> nice job, man.
at you. He, lo- you know, he looks like an old school DJ anyway, yeah, right, right there, man. Yeah, <laughs> KRD in Cincinnati or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Les Nessman and all those guys. So. <laughs>